Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore. And I'm Missy Branch. We want to introduce you to women who, through their own unique vocations, are seeing what they do make an eternal difference. And we pray these conversations will inspire you in your own calling to honor God, to image Him to the world through your work, and to leverage your potential for His glory. Thank you so much for joining us today. jump into conversation with our guests today, we want to thank the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary for sponsoring this episode. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and Level College desire for women to be theologically grounded servants of Jesus who abide in the Word. Their heart is to help women answer God's call to ministry leadership. If that sounds like you, then today visit prepareher.com. Thank you so much, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Friends, we have a very special guest with us today that we cannot wait for you all to get to know and um, hear from today. We have on the show with us our friend from the Denver Institute for Faith and Work, Joanna Meyer. Joanna, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Hi, ladies. It's great to be here. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Joanna and the work she does at the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. She serves right now as the Director of Public Engagement, and she also oversees the Women in Vocation Initiative, which, of course, Mm -hmm. our listeners are going to know we want to hear all about the Women in Vocation Initiative. Prior Mm -hmm. to coming on uh, to the Institute, she worked in global telecom and nonprofit consulting and campus ministry with CREW. She served as associate faculty at Denver Seminary and as a sewing instructor at Fancy Tiger Crafts, which I love because (laughs) I had a season, Joanna, where I was totally into sewing and embroidery. I mean, I still have it. I still have my machine and I do. I used to do a ton of sewing. So this is so fun. I love that you. Right. It is so fun. I just like the name Fancy Tiger Crafts. It's this <laughs> super liberal indie craft shop in downtown Denver. I was I was the outlier. I was like this born again Christian among all of these really really interesting. I'll say that. Yeah, it is. A, I do like the name. It makes me want to go there. She has an MA in social entrepreneurship from Baki Graduate University, and she graduated magna cum laude from the University of Colorado in Boulder. All right. So, Joanna, before we get into hearing about your work, we have a fun thing we do with every guest. We just shoot off some rapid fire questions. So you ready to take part? Absolutely. All right. First question. As a kid, Joanna, what did you want to be when you grew up? Early on, I wanted to be a florist or a chef. But I think like in my young teen years, I wanted to be someone that interviewed interesting people. Didn't necessarily want to be famous. But I just thought the world was a fascinating place and people needed to know about all the interesting people that were out there. And so I dreamed that somehow in some role, I would get to interview interesting people. And now I get to do that, which is what's so amazing. And now you get to do that on your podcast. Just real quickly, tell people about the podcast you host. Oh, I host the Faith and Work podcast. Such an original name for Denver Institute. You can find (laughs) it on any of the podcasting platforms or at denverinstitute.org. And so we feature stories of people following God through their callings. There you go. That is awesome. It sounds so interesting. Okay, so then what was your actual first job? I worked in the dining room at Paul's Place, which was like a gourmet burger chain local here to Denver. So I cleaned a lot of salt and pepper shakers and ate a lot of French fries. 
Okay. <laughs> so that fun. sounds like a great job. Yeah. <laughs> it started an unhealthy obsession with fried food. Oh, no. <laughs> well, that was not too bad. If you didn't start your obsession with fried food until high school, I, I know you did not grow up in the South. <laughs> Totally. That is a I'm pretty sure I, my obsession with fried food began at a much younger age, coming from Alabama. Okay, Joanna, last question. What kind of work do you hope to be doing when you're 80 years old? Well, you know, this is a much longer question. We talk about this at work a lot because we honestly think like there, there isn't really a good biblical theology of retirement because in scripture, you don't see people retiring. You see them settling into a different way of working, but you never stop, you know, you never stop serving God in the world. And so I hope, you know, if I'm still single, I hope that I have a golden girl type situation and I would live with my friend Bethany <laughs> Jenkins, who is a VP yeah. of the Veritas Forum. I live with Sharon Sampson, who runs, who's a really fun single woman running a marketing agency. My friend Ann Snyder. Uh, and yeah, I think the four of us would have a blast. Or I'll probably <laughs> be pestering my teenage nieces who will have families of their own maybe by that stage. So um, hopefully advice, offering good advice and wisdom and just having fun with friends. I love that. I'm really just catching that mental picture of you ladies in the Golden Girls house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm envisioning that in Florida. And that does actually sound like fun. Well, Julia, tell us about you. Where did you grow up and share how you even came to faith? Yeah, I um, grew up in the Chicago area. I'm a pastor's kid. And so my dad was pastoring churches in the Midwest through my junior high years. And then my freshman year of college, we moved back to Colorado. And 30 years later, my family is still here. I had a brief season of globe trotting when I worked in campus ministry. But when I uh, joined the corporate sector and kind of stepped fully into adult life, I've just been in De the Denver area ever since. And it is home for me. Um, and in my journey of faith, I, uh, like, like many people that might've grown up around the church, I became a Christian at a young age. It was something I chose for myself in elementary school. I have a little note that I handed my mom with terrible spelling that says, mom, I just accepted Jesus in my life. And so I know that it was definitely a personal decision because I did it on my own, came out literally in my closet and came out and handed my mom a little note about it. But I think, and I, I struggle with this sometimes because I think in a lot of church circles, when we talk about our testimonies, we expect this like dramatic before and after conversion. And if you come to faith as a kid, often you don't have that dramatic before and after. It's so true. But for me, there have just been critical points of conversion. You know, you have an initial conversion when you respond to the gospel, but there have been many moments in my young adult and adult life where I've had another step in my conversion of surrendering to the Lordship of Christ in different seasons of my life. And so my story is really of the unfolding work of grace in my life um, and God's work in those really difficult seasons. Beautiful. The unfolding work of God's grace in my life. That is a beautiful statement and so true of just all of our lives and the work of the Holy Spirit in us to conform us more to Christ. So, Joanna, what led you to become interested in the subject of faith and work? Missy and I have our own stories of really what got us interested in this topic. So I would love to just, you know, any part of your journey that you'd love to share about how you got here. You went from working in corporate America to now working at the Denver Institute of Faith and Work. Kind of share with us some of your story. Yeah, for me, I think there's a the theological journey and there's also a personal journey. Um, theologically, you know, as a teenager, I have always been fascinated by social studies, even like in junior high and high school. Like my favorite classes were always the history of the social studies classes because I loved learning about people and culture. 
And as I realized uh, in my teen years that church had a history, all of a sudden my focus started to change as fasting. All my papers, when I could have an optional topic, I was probably talking about what the church, God was doing through the church in that time period. So I could just see those fingerprints of God of like, I loved seeing the like large movements and small daily experiences of people in like significant moments in history. And so... I could see those fingerprints. I, I went to college and um, studied history. I wanted to be a social studies teacher and thought for sure that's what I would do for the rest of my life, uh, teaching at a suburban Denver high school and had a bit of a detour. I had a phenomenal experience in college with the campus ministry crew. And so after graduation, I ended up working with them for 12 years, An initial commitment wow. of like, you know, I, I have the energy to work with college kids for a couple of years, ended up being a significant chunk of my career. Um, wow. And I loved seeing how people would discover the gospel. I loved when we would work internationally or even in local U.S. communities, figuring out how you could contextualize the gospel, how you could explain it in a way and live it in a way that made sense in different cultures. So I could see that theme that was going on in my life. Um, but I also started working at are attending, I should say, worshiping at a church that uh, had a more reformed theological tradition. So their vision of the gospel was big. That's the simplest way I can explain it is how dramatically your life changes when you get a big view of the gospel. Yeah. And by that, I mean, yes, it certainly starts with our personal response to Jesus Christ and individual salvation. I firmly believe that when Christ is in talking in um, in scripture about making all things new, that all things means all things. And so any area of our life that has been damaged by the effects of sin or does not reflect God's values and, and how it operates is a pl place that's ripe for, for godly influence. And so I began to see that. And over time, I realized that as valuable as what we were doing in campus ministry was, it wasn't the whole picture. Um, and so we were teaching students how to walk with God, but we weren't teaching them how to walk with God in the world. It's like they would graduate and we'd be like, if you ever seen the movie Princess Bride, there's this line um, where the heroes are off for a good adventure and their friends say, have fun storming the castle. And, <laughs> and I felt like that's what we would do with students after graduation. We send them into the world wow. like with these wishes, have fun storming the castle. But we really had not oriented them for how to be adults in the world and how to engage the created world through their work. And so I just was experiencing a significant disconnect, which is what led me eventually to the corporate sector. I thought, I'm living in some kind of bubble here and I just need to get out. I need to see what Christian faith in, in larger life looks like. And so in the years that I spent working in the corporate sector, I gained such a passion for how God can work through business. I just realized that there were human lives there that could be deeply influenced and also tremendous resources that could be used for the common good. But a lot of executives didn't have the time or the wisdom to know how to do that. And so that led me into grad school working on a social entrepreneurship degree, which is a hybrid of small business, small business leadership, community development, a collaborative approach to community service. Um, and I took a theology of work class. It was a Christian business school. And so one of the foundational teachings was they wanted you to have a theology of work. And it was in that course. Wow. It was just like all the pieces snapped into place and gave me this theological framework to make sense of what God had been doing in my heart through all of those years. And so I started flapping my lips, um, <laughs> here in the Denver area, teaching about faith and work at my church. And that was just as Denver Institute started going. And okay. my pastor connected me with our founder. And it it's um, we've been off to the races for the last six years. So that was the theological journey. But personally, 
I often refer to myself as an unexpected career woman um, because you know, I'm single. I'm in my mid-40s. And so work has, by necessity, had to play a role in my life. Uh-huh. But that was not how I was raised. I don't. My parents never taught, never like verbally said, we expect you to get married and have kids. But it was just the water that I was swimming in sure. growing up. Um, and my mom had been a stay-at-home mom before she earned money as a nurse for us to be able to go to college. Um, and so there was an utter lack of discipleship in my life towards work. And I would say that's true for almost all Christian women. Um, and that's why our work is so important. But it was it was well, just like I thought, okay, I'm going to graduate from college and I'll work for a few years and then dot, 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 because I just assumed I would get married and have kids. And that dot, dot, dot had great consequences for me because hmm. I did not have a vision for what could be possible or what God desired for me outside of getting married and have kids. And it wasn't like I was, I wasn't in this heavy handed environment. It was just, there was an absence of discipleship for understanding my role in the world. So I remember a colleague when I was 30 asking, you know, what do you think your, your five-year plan is? And I honestly didn't have an answer for him because I was desperately hoping I would get married and that that would put the pieces in place or would solve all my deepest longings and, and the questions I had about my purpose in life. And so it's been a very hard journey for me to really have a framework for understanding God's calling in my life. Um, And that pain really deepened in my 40s. Like I mentioned, I'm in my mid-40s. I'm still single. Um, And medically, I ended up losing the ability to have kids a couple of years ago. I had um, something that many women will relate to. I had uterine fibroids that early Mm -hmm. in my 40s, uh, a doctor said, I think something's going on here with the health. I showed up anemic uh, at my annual physical, and she said, I think your periods are heavier than, than, than you realize. And it began about a five-year journey of me desperately hoping that God would bring marriage and kids into my life. It was like this race, my gynecological mm, yeah. bedside manner. She said, if you want to have kids, it's go time. Wow. <laughs> How awful is that? Um, I think she meant like, you need to go for like high powered fertility treatments if you ever hope for having kids. So it was a number of years of just desperation of saying like, God, like, the thing that I thought would bring purpose and, and comfort and stability in my life is not happening. And I, I don't see you changing this. And so ultimately the loss of um, the loss of being able to have kids through having hysterectomy a couple of years really put me on my knees for a number of years of just having to make sense uh, with the Lord of his broader purposes in my life. And to be honest, I think the lack of vocational discipleship for women only made that harder because uh, obviously now I have a strong opinion about the range of God ways that God can work in women's life, but the lack of discipleship of helping me have a vision for how God could work in my life, even if my life didn't follow the expected path has been, has been costly. And it really fuels my passion for the work that I do today. Gosh, I mean, I'm just hearing you talk. I feel your pain that you endured really thinking through those issues and I mean, we don't take that lightly. I know that was probably still is something that pops in your heart and mind that you're you're trusting the Lord with. And I think you're absolutely right that there has just been a lack of discipleship. I just love how you put that with uh, women and work, um, which is, I mean, what part, I mean, part of your story is just all of our story. I've, I hear my own story as you speak, and um, it's just. You know, I, I'm I'm just so happy we're all here doing this work now oh, yeah. and helping, hopefully, to 
to disciple some women in this issue. Well, yeah. And I, I it's funny because you think like, okay, Joanna, why are you talking about gynecology on a podcast? And <laughs> I look at scripture and I think there's a book waiting, waiting to be written about how God works through the reproductive journey of his women. Cause you see throughout scripture, like that's a great wow. source of pain or struggle. Like I relate to the, yes. the woman um, who was bleeding and, and touched Jesus robe and is healed. I mean, that, that is the story of my life in many ways. And yeah. um, I just think God meets us there. And so I mentioned that because I'm guessing some of your listeners have struggled with infertility or maybe single women and just like the scenario of heartache. I'm going to church on Sunday and it's baby dedication Sunday. And I already have like a strategic action plan to stay in the lobby a little bit longer, have a second mm-hmm. cup of coffee to skip the seat, the part of baby dedication. Cause I know even years later after my yeah. surgery, it will still be painful. Joanna. Wow. I'm so sorry. I know. Joanna, there's a lot of, I mean, Courtney, it's like we could do a whole other podcast just on this conversation, but it's just, it's really is beautiful because I do think that we are so used to separating out of, out parts of womanhood that we forget that we all struggle in such similar ways with so many things, whether married or single or um, whether we're working or not working, like we all are struggling through some of these things. And if we would come together instead of being siloed out, that we could really create a, a full theology around these things and really um, offer more discipleship and even care for each other. So this gets me what to, what to ask you about the work that you're doing. Tell us about the Denver Institute for Faith and Work and how you became connected with that and kind of about the work you're actually doing day to day. Yeah. So, um, The Denver Institute is part of a larger movement of which you guys are a part, which we refer to kind of as the faith and work movement. It's been cooking for the last 30 or 40 years um, and actually (laughs) traces its roots back to the Protestant Reformation when they started talking about the calling of all believers. Um, And we started hearing more about faith and culture at that time. But in the last 30 years or so, it's just been this growing conversation of what does it look like for the gospel to shape culture through the gifts of its people? And so at Denver Institute, we say that we f- we're an educational nonprofit. We form men and women to love God and serve their neighbor and society through their daily work. And that refers to all forms of work, whether you're retired or a stay-at-home mom or the CEO of a corporation. All of our daily labor is under God's redemptive purposes in the world. And we do various programming. Um, We do public events, two really big public events a year, Business for the Common Good, which is in the spring and it draws about 300 people locally and then has a national live stream audience. And then Women Work and Calling, which has grown in the last couple of years to be a global event that we host in the fall. It's in person here in Denver and also online. Um, So we do public events. Uh, We do a ton of uh, content creation through our courses and blogging and podcasting. We run a fellowship program called the 5280 Fellowship that also is growing nationally um, through the CityGate initiative where we would love to start fellowship programs locally that really come alongside emerging leaders in the first half of their career for an intensive nine-month period of discipleship around faith, work, and culture. So it's a really fun conversation. People will get introduced to, just like I'm seeing your smile, the smiles on your face is like people will get <laughs> introduced to faith and work and all of a sudden you're like, how did I miss this? Exactly. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. I, I, it's so funny. I was, true confessions of my dating life. You're learning about my gynecology and my dating life <laughs> in this podcast. But I remember going out with a guy a few years ago and he was a high level exec for a Fortune 500 company. And um I didn't realize it at the time, but he all he ever wanted to talk about was faith and work because I think that was a huge area of need in his life. 
Um, And looking back, I'm like, he was more hungry for vocational discipleship than he wants to go out with me. (laughs) We started along for a few weeks. And after we said, yeah, there's nothing here, said, let's take another walk around the block because I want to keep talking about faith and work. And I should have told him to go jump in the lake. But (laughs) there's just a hundred. Because most people in in their church lives are not being discipled with a big view of the gospel. You're exactly right. And I mean, I love everything that you guys are doing and uh, your Women Working Calling event you had last year. We at Courtney Powell on our team was actually uh, was able to go there and be with you all. And so we love that. And so you also have um, within the Denver Institute, you have the Women and Vocation Initiative. And you really I mean, you founded this initiative. Is that right, Joanna? Yeah. Okay. Talk to us about that. Hi, about six years ago, Facebook just reminded me that the anniversary happened. You got to love that sometimes about Facebook. It just reminds you what's happened in your life. So um, six years ago, we host an event called Women Work and Calling. And it was like this brutally snowy night that Colorado women are brave and they came out for it. But 250 women wow. came out that night. Wow. It was our biggest event for many years, the biggest event in Denver Institute history. And it was the first time I had ever really been exposed to a comprehensive biblically based, practically oriented conversation about work and calling. And we realized that there is more going on than just a single event. And so over the years, it's grown. We really are shifting um, this year after seeing the success of last fall's event to really having it be a nationally focused initiative that isn't tied to Denver. And we will have different branding on it. So it's, it's not tied to Denver Institute. But I really believe when it comes to women's discipleship, there are a few things that are lacking um, and that I want to see happen through the initiative. One is that we want to provide a theological framework for Christian women to think about integrating their callings. We want to provide a relational community. Um, Often Christian women feel very isolated in their callings, especially if they have higher level leadership, uh, levels of leadership. They don't often feel seen within their faith community, and they may feel isolated in the workplace because they don't have fellow Christian peers at that level of leadership. So building a relational community where you're having those critical conversations about stewarding your gifts and what that looks like. We need examples I'm not going to lie, like I get so frustrated um, by Christian women's events that are, they're beautifully planned and they definitely are impactful for women's lives. But the only people you ever see on stage are Bible teachers or podcasters or social media influencers, or maybe a therapist or an artist, if you're lucky. But nobody is Mm -hmm. having a venture capitalist talking about the godly use of money and her relationship with wealth and power. We need someone who is in educational leadership talking about what it looks like to, to be in a very slow changing industry and being faithful in that environment. And often one that's very political. So we just need inspiring examples of Christian women that are walking by faith. And that's what I love about the work that you guys are doing is you're highlighting stories of those women. And finally, we need to have practical tools. We need to have honest conversations like, it should. We shouldn't be waiting till we're in our forties to have conversations about building a career. Um, it's I agree. It starts now. So, wow. my dream is that um, is that we'll be able to to build this out not only as an event or not only as like online resources, but really doing. I'm doing a lot of listening this year to think about what's the right, what are the right resources practically to help women grow in this. And if women want to hear about our event, it'll be October 8th in the Denver area and online as well. Um, You can check out the events page at denverinstitute.org to learn about women working calling. That is, you have said, I mean, just a mouthful of things that is so, (laughs) like I just, we need to have you back on the show. This is what I'm going to do. Because, you know, the thing that you said was 
so this is not to plug our own thing, but we're doing a leader, women's leadership conference here on our campus. And part of that leadership conference is having a moment, a networking event where women can meet other women who are passionate about ministry in so many different fields. Like you said, not just I want to be a blogger, I want to be an influencer. There's nothing wrong with those things, obviously. But there are women who's passionate about public education women who are passionate about uh, immigrant care, just just so many different ways that women can lead. And we need to have those examples to be able to meet with and see women who are doing this work, just like you said. And so it's just so beautiful to hear you say it because I'm like, she's on my soapbox with me. (laughs) (laughs) So what type of vision would you like Christian women to have as it relates to their work? Um, Yeah, I just think, like you said, I was a mom for a lot of years and it never crossed my mind. Well, it it did, but not in a way that I was active. What am I going to do when these children don't need me? (laughs) And I praise God, he's been so kind that he's given me work, but it wasn't because I was proactive in making sure I was building that for myself. Right. And so what type of vision would you like Christian women to have as they begin to think of their work, whether they're um, 20 and in college or 40 looking out at now my kids don't need me? Yeah, I think a few themes. One is understanding your own story and the um, way it shapes thinking about your gifts and the ro- the roles that you'll fill in life. Because, okay. and I think that's one of those conversations. If you're a woman that loves having coffee with friends or drinks wine, like that is a rich conversation of like, mm-hmm. what were your early impressions about work or the different roles that women would fill? Because it's different for all of us based on our generation. I find that younger women have a very different perspective. Uh, they have some less hangups than I do. Your denominational background, your cultural background. I, I think we've seen amazing fruit um, through the conversation that folks like Beth Allison Barr are hosting on biblical womanhood. But yeah. um, we all speak from our own perspective. And so for me, like as a, a white woman that was a child of the 80s, that the message that Beth is addressing, it resonates with who I am, but that's not the full story. And so I think each of us individually needs to understand the waters that we swim in and how it shapes what we think about ourselves and be able to separate like what's a biblical understanding of women versus a cultural understanding. I heard yes. um, Karen Swallow Pryor had said something recently on a on her Jane and, G- Jane and Jesus podcast. And she said, so much of what we think about women is shaped by Victorian culture and morality that rather than biblical <laughs> truth. And I was like, so true, but we need to, we need to call culture what it is and be able to see ourselves apart in it and apart from it. Um, I think we need, to, I would like women to have a vision for integrating their callings. I use that word because- I agree. One of the pain points that women present with, it sounds like a medical condition, like you present with certain Mm -hmm. symptoms at your doctor, but (laughs) one of the pain points that I see women presenting with relates to work-life balance. And I don't think that's the right way to to address it because that's about managing your tasks rather than approaching your life with a biblical vision. So, you know, when you think about integrating your callings, you see men and women stewarding callings together. Like you don't see this... You may have see, see a unique gendered expression of it, but you don't see these hard and fast divisions between public life and private life that grew, grew up in the kind of Victorian times. Um, mom guilt is real. And so helping moms figure out like, hey, mm-hmm. 
you can be home and it matters. And you guys do such a beautiful job of emphasizing that in your content. I emphasize it a little bit less because I feel like my role in this conversation is kind of discipling women for public life, but helping women see that there's a broad spectrum of way of ways that they fall on the at home in public leadership. And it can change by season. It can change by life stage. It changes by temperament. I think God gives women different capacities. And so when there are some women who maybe moms and their husband is carrying a load with taking for kids and that can be a taking care of kids. It can be a very godly thing. So helping women have a more robust conversation around what it looks like to, to integrate their callings. And I would love Christian women to understand that godly ambition is a very good thing. Amen. Yes. Yes. Like I, yeah. I was looking at, uh, at women were calling, women work in calling. I was interviewing a nonprofit executive at the end of the day. And I looked at the women in the room and I said, when was the last time you had a conversation from a biblical perspective about women in power? And it, that's one of those words where you kind of go, oh, oh, that's that's the third rail. <laughs> that's not, but really, like, let's temper it a little bit and use a different word. Let's call it influence. But as godly women, mm-hmm. we all have to sit with our lives and say, God has given me unique influence. It may be small or it may be oh, large. Yes. What does it look like for me to steward it for his purposes? I love it. All of that, what you just said, amen, amen, amen. These are conversations that need to be happening. So good. So as you're thinking about this vision, you kind of mentioned some of the things that would impede women from grabbing a hold of those things, you know, the Victorian culture. Is there anything else you would say, wow, you know, here's what I'm seeing either in the church or culture at large um, that are keeping women from really grabbing a hold of of this vision? Yeah, I think... I think understanding the history of women's roles in your context is critical. Um, So from a very white perspective, I'll say, I think understanding how thinking about gender roles was shaped by the history of the church and the history of popular culture. Um, We just interviewed Beth Allison Barr for our podcast. I should make sure you guys have a link to it. And I just asked her to walk me through that. Let's talk about the history of women and work, Christian women and work. Um, And we just walked through, you know, about 500 years of of Christian history and talked a little bit about that. But I think especially for women that are drawing from a more Northern European tradition, you get some of the uh, thinking about like the separation of gender roles and the uh, I'm just going to say it. I think an overemphasis of domestic life. Not to undervalue domestic life, but we need to be able to hold it in context. And we need to be able to understand kind of where it falls, like I said, on a spectrum of ways that that women integrate uh, their calling. So really value it, but not make it the higher thing in how we follow God. So that's kind of one tradition. But I think even I'm doing a lot of listening right now to my um, Asian American, African American friends to just say, help me understand the narrative that you live with. Because that shapes how we live in the world. I just say, help me, help me understand. Because my story is not your story, and I don't want to speak to you assuming that it is. So I'm just doing my best to like listen um, on people's journey a little bit about that because it has a huge effect. It speaks culture speaks and tradition speaks as loudly as scripture in some of our lives, and so we just need to be able to understand it and see through it. Man, that's so true, Joanna. Mm-hmm. It, just you talking makes me want to learn. I love learning. And just you talking, about, oh my goodness, I want to dig into that and even learn more. And so we know this is so important. We want women to to get it. We want women to know their history and move forward. 
there are some, I guess, risk, maybe some negative impacts of not getting this, right? So what would you say are maybe some of the, you know, when we don't walk forward in the calling God has for us um, and the freedom He's given us in Christ, um, what are some of those negative things we miss out on? And also, you know, what are some of the positive things that come about when we do use our gifts and callings and passions for the glory of God? Yeah. I think the first is understanding that it's biblical. And I know that you guys have talked about that. Like you look at the opening pages of scripture and you see men and women called together in God's purposes in the world. And it's not like these hard and fast lines divided by gender. It's a much more integrated perspective. And so we don't experience the fullness of what God has for us when we don't live in that, in that freedom. Um, I think for a lot of women, we have an internal clutter. You're hearing a little bit of it in my own life as we talk today, but we have a whole lot of internal clutter. (laughs) I love that phrase. It is so so true. There's just a lot going on inside that can make it difficult for us to walk in freedom with Christ. Um, And so I think it's so important to have this conversation, to be able to allow women to serve God in an unhindered way. The gospel is as big as the needs of the world. And every single one of us lives in our unique corner of creation. Like your homes are not my home. Uh, You have families, you have different scopes of leadership and influence. You have different parts of the U.S. that you're living in that God has placed you there. And so understanding where God has placed us and having creativity and bringing like our full giftedness to the work of the gospel in that place, why in the world would we ever want to stop women from doing that? But we need to, I I use the expression vocational imagination. We need to spark that in women. And when it's not happening, we don't live in the fullness of it. Or on the other end of the spectrum, I know Christian women that are, are hugely influential in the world and aren't integrated in how they view their faith. And so they live this disconnected life because wow. they may be one person in public and completely different, and not completely different, but unintegrated with their life in the faith community. Like I think of a friend who is one of the top female venture capitalists here in the U.S., an incredibly godly woman who has thought about what it looks like to use money and influence for God's glory. And she'll say, my faith community has never acknowledged my influence or come alongside me to pray for me or support me in that. And so I just think it's critical for women to be living integrated lives as whole people with our faith and our work. And so when that doesn't happen, we end up with these jagged and disconnected experiences where we're isolated from living as fully whole and healthy people before the Lord and even living fully with each other. Yeah, we have a simple expression at Denver Institute. We say that we live before God in all of life. Mm, I love that. It reminds us that every aspect of life matters. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we realize that as men and women, we live together in that call to be present to God and His redemptive presence in all things. And so I just look at that and I say, and I... I I think I may be, I'm biblically conservative, but I might be a little bit more liberal leaning than you guys are in where I, in where I sit in that, in that I think the space of um, outside of maybe some biblically prescribed roles about leadership in church and gender, I would argue the field is wide open for women to be fully engaged. And, um, and I kind of keep my energy there because I'm like, the conversation yes. is a bit of a rabbit hole that people fall down and they just beat each other yes. over the head with clubs on some yes. of those, those <laughs> yes. very specific 
role. Um, yes. And so I just avoid it. I realize that it's there and it needs to be understood, but yes. I avoid it because I think as a consequence, we have underdeveloped our thinking about women in the world. So that's kind of my theological framework yeah. of just saying, yeah, there's a ton of work to do. And in that space, I believe that God has put women and men in it together. And so let me, let me read you a quote. It's from um, an author I would recommend named Carolyn Custis James has written books, including when life yes. and belief beliefs collide. She's looked at a lot yeah. of women in scripture, but um, this is what she writes about men and women together. And she said, what has the ring of something innovative and pro progressive is actually a remnant of humanity's forgotten ancient past, an idea with primordial biblical roots that can be traced back to the Garden of Eden. The notion that things work better and human beings become their best selves when men and women work together is found on page one of the Bible. When God mm -hmm. was launching the most ambitious enterprise the world has ever known, the team he put together to do that was male and female. And she goes on to describe that relationship as a blessed alliance that, mm, um, you know, I think the gospel expresses itself uniquely through the personality and gifts of every individual. And so when women aren't showing up in the fullness of the gifts and personality that we have, we have an imbalanced perspective. The gospel is expressed in a less full way. We're depriving the world of all the nuances and beauty of who God is. And so I think biblically, like, of course we want to show up and be, be who God has made us to be. One of the challenges is we have a lot of cultural barriers of just figuring out how do we deal with the very real presence, for example, of sexual tension in the workplace? Like, how do we deal with that in a way that acknowledges um, that that exists, but also doesn't hinder women? And so um, that's yeah. that's something there. And I would I would really push back a push that we need better conversations on that because often the current steps we're taking on something like the Billy Graham rule, which if people aren't familiar with that, um, these your listeners might not be. It's a perspective that, for the sake of propriety, men would avoid meeting with women in private. Um, and at its heart, it's really good. It comes from a good place. But the consequence is that it systematically disadvantages and deprives women of equal access and opportunity in church settings, in workplace settings. And so we just have to look at that. Right. So I think there's there are places of better conversations to be had. I think of a young woman I know who is uh, growing in corporate leadership as an accountant. And she said, I would love to talk to the businessmen at my church about their work. I, I think I have a lot to learn from them, but I'm very yeah. hesitant to approach them because I worried about what their wives would think. This young woman. Uh, right. so right. We just yeah. need to rethink kind of what that dynamic looks like. And also, I just think we need... Um, we need to keep moving forward to understand what does it look like to celebrate the distinctiveness of their gifts. Mm -hmm. I'm, I until recently, uh, I've been primarily the only woman in leadership on our team at Denver Institute, and I feel it. I mean, I know that I show up differently in our work together than the guys on my team, and so I haven't always known how to communicate that effectively. I think that's part of this journey around women and work is like, how do you, how do you embody a female presence, whatever that looks like for you in a way that's impactful in largely male settings. So that's yeah. an ongoing journey yes. for me. I don't know it if really I'm fully is. answering your question, but I think there's a lot yeah. of work to be done to figure out what that relationship together looks like. Right. Well, you mentioned a, a couple of hindrances there to really Honestly, you're kind of hitting on just the equality between men and women in the workplace. Some of the hindrances to that, whether it's the Billy Graham rule or 
Um, some of the, like you mentioned, the sexual tension there of just how do we navigate this in a way that's honoring to the Lord, but acknowledges reality. Um, are there any other hindrances you would see in men and women really co-laboring together um, in the workplace? And besides that, what can women do? You know, you mentioned that. How can you show up? But are there any practical steps or even perspectives in our minds as women to help bridge this gap yeah. between the genders? Yeah, I think um, it fascinates me because a lot of the secular research about women and work, it may not have the solution, but it helps identify the problem, if that makes sense. Exactly. And so you can see yes. things in the Harvard Business yeah. Review or in Forbes um, or in Fast Company that highlights the tensions that women face in the workplace. So I didn't speak to it directly, but um, the concept of the double bind that um, women who are in leadership often feel pressure to be both viewed as both likable and competent. And often when we have a gendered perspective of what good leadership looks like, it often comes in a masculine package, whether we know it or not. It can be just this unintentional bias that we have where we think like, oh, good leaders act decisively or they (laughs) express their opinions clearly and with confidence. And when it comes in a male package, it feels really natural. It's the stuff we see of heroes in movies or what we see of leaders in politics and things like that. But when those same qualities are expressed with a feminine voice, they can be perceived very differently. It can be perceived as aggressive. Um, and in, in that's viewed as negative light. So women feel this bind where it's like, so true. I want people to like me. That's expected as a woman that I be likable. And yet I struggle to express the competence that I know is there because it's perceived differently because of my gender. And so that's a real hindrance. And so I think for men, especially if there are men listening, it's growing to identify what what perceptions that they may have about leadership or working relationships that have that same cultural influence, that have a perspective of gender. I think practically speaking, we need to be having better conversations about caretaking responsibilities. And that happens Mm. at the policy level. So so praise the Lord for Christians who are working in a law-making capacity, because as we saw in the pandemic, um, women really struggle when there are not good options for childcare. Um, and the reality of a full-time stay-at-home yeah. mom is doesn't work outside <laughs> of an upper middle-class, often white context. Right. And so we just need to have a richer conversation. And this blesses men too, that caretaking would be viewed as a shared responsibility and that there would be supportive structures around work and in our life together here in the U.S. to support that. It's good for all of us. So at Women at Work, what we talk about really is about women walking out their calling, right? Like God has given you, God has called us all to something corporate, but God has put something individual in all of us. What are some factors, we talk about this a lot, but what are some factors that you see that would affect women to fully walk that calling out to express who they are individually with their unique God-given passions and potential? I'm gonna. I hesitate a little bit because I just want to be gentle in how I say this. Um, I think that lack of vocational discipleship is critical because it affects us at a heart level. Wow, That's it good. really does. Um, it, the absence of teaching is profound. Yes, um, and I say yes. that. Um, I, it, it's always interesting because I've, I've talked to 
many women's ministry leaders over the years, and they'll initially seem intrigued by this conversation around women and work, but they don't ever kind of jump in with me on that. I'll invite them to something and say like, hey, this could be really valuable for your women. And they just don't get there uh, or they they (laughs) don't move forward with it. I think some of it is that Mm -hmm. like, this is going to sound like a generalization, but like our model of discipleship for Christian women, like an entire system in evangelicalism does sure. not speak to work. Uh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And so we'll disciple women for important things, but it's not the full perspective of what it looks like to live as a woman of God. So we'll teach people important things like how to read scripture, or how to have a personal dis- a devotional life. We'll teach people how to have a godly influence in our, what I call our relational callings, like marriage, family, friendship. Mm-hmm. But we do not, even in that conversation, we are not speaking to women about their, about their role in public life. And that's the biggest hindrance is that it's like intellectually and theologically, not even the framework we're using for developing women. And so that's like step one <laughs> is acknowledging mm-hmm. that yes. shifting the conversation years ago, we hosted at the church wow. I go to here in Denver um, that let me teach on women and work. And I remember one of our staff women came up later and was like, that was the best women's event ever. And I, think, I think her, the heart behind was that it was like, nobody had ever, ever talked to her about the role that work would play in her life and her using her gifts with passion and wisely. And, <laughs> and it's so life-giving when we start there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm like, to me, the conversation doesn't end there, but the conversation starts there and we have a lot of work to do, which is why, like I think about the work you guys are doing and the work that we're doing, like, this is why we need to be friends. This is why we need to be able yes, to set, like, yes. a big table <laughs> and learn how to support each other and collaborate as women. Even if we have different expressions or roles that we play in this conversation, we have got to learn how to play well together because the need is so great and the opportunities are so large. Every time I am brought in to speak about leadership for women. And we talk about what it means for them to develop their own leadership styles, their own leadership qualities, their own leadership skills. That is the thing that women are so hungry over because we, yes, we want you to be theological, but we want that theology to inform the way you lead, the way you teach, the way you work. And I do find that there is a lack of resource on those conversations. This is what it means to be a woman and be a leader, but to be godly when you do it, to be feminine, to be um, concerned with how God has gifted and created you. And I, you're right. There's a lack of resource and meaning there's a lack of discipleship in that. Joe Saxton yeah. is a leader that I really appreciate her writing and her social media and her influence. I think she's doing a great job of, um, really equipping Christian women leaders. That's awesome. Okay. We'll have to link to her so our women can find them. Well, Joanna, this has been such a great conversation. And as we wrap up, we always ask the same question. And it's fascinating the answers we get on the same question from our various guests. But we are curious as we close, what is just, if you could leave our women with just one piece of advice to stick in their pocket and take with them, as it relates to, you know, these women want to honor God through their vocational calling. What, how would you challenge them? What advice would you give them? Hmm. I think I would start with understanding your own story. Just spend some time and just um, understand your story and understand the unique stewardship that God has given you. So starting with the story is, is just saying, 
take some time looking at the factors that have shaped how you see yourself or the expectations um, of what, how you would carry your different roles and responsibilities. Because that, that is where you can start to apply the gospel. Sometimes the good news for women starts there of understanding mm-hmm. what they've believed about themselves or their role in the world that might not be what God asked for them. And then that flows into thinking, what has God given me to steward? That's right. And it's going to be different for all of us. And for some people, if they are in a season of being at home, it may be a very private stewardship of my sister homeschools, my teenage nieces. Like we talk about that a lot. Her scope is narrow and very deep in the stewardship of my nieces' lives. Yes. Uh, Mine on the other end is really broad. I'm single. And so I have a lot more scope and capacity um, in this season of my life. And so just understanding like what it looks like and giving that to Lord and maybe even saying like, if, you know, if you are a stay home mom saying, Lord, is there something that you would have me do beyond this? Is there an Mm -hmm. engagement in my neighborhood or in my community or the local PTA? Like, where are we going with this Lord? And just asking where he might lead. I think that is beautiful, wonderful homework for our women <laughs> to set their alarms really early before they're, if they have kids, before they wake up and grab their journal and spend some time with the Lord. And really, I mean, you're right. That That is a great place to start. I mean, I feel like I look back at my own journey and that's, I didn't sit down and intentionally do that, but the Lord and the Holy Spirit were really already working that in me to to begin to evaluate, yes. wait a minute, I've got this whole area of my life I'm not stewarding at all. Um, and so I think, I love that advice. I think that's so, so helpful. And it's such an invitation for God to begin to lead them using that, what you mentioned earlier, Joanna, that vocational imagination God, what what might you have for me? I've never even considered. And so, um, listeners, take that advice <laughs> and do what Joanna said. And it's so beautiful because when we do look back at our story, we even begin to see the clues of God having been building and creating and forming those things in us all along. We just weren't paying attention necessarily. Yeah. And so it's been there. God is not just surprising us with some great job today. I love that. You know, we often say that calling is discerned in the rear view mirror. And I think it's very Mm, true because we sit around expecting God to declare what his purposes are. And he's declared his purposes pretty clearly in scripture. And if that's all we get, we have our marching orders for life. Like we have a lot of instructions about what God wants to do in the world. (laughs) But often you can see how God has shaped us for this current moment when we look back, like you're describing, Missy, and see all the places that he's brought us. That's right. So good. Beautiful. This has been so life-giving. So wonderful, Joanna. Thank you so much for your time. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, just for our listeners to really check out the show notes, we're going to link to your ebook. We're going to link to the Denver Institute of Faith and Work and your Women Working Calling event coming up in the fall. So um, love having you on, love our shared passions, and love that you have really stepped into this conversation and are providing such an important uh, role of yes. leadership in it for women. So mm-hmm. thank you so much, Joanna. Thanks for the gift of being here. Thanks for sharing this incredible mission together. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to check out our website at Work. for today's show notes. There will be more information about today's conversation there. And while you're there, we'd be honored for you to partner with us financially. If this podcast or really any of the content Women in Work produces has been a source of inspiration and encouragement to you. 
Women in Work is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all your donations are fully tax deductible. If you enjoyed this episode and don't want to miss another one, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also love for you to take a minute to rate and review our show so that more listeners can find us. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.